You're listening to 17 Karat K-Pop. For more about this show and my other show, Enthusiasts, plus to get the latest interviews, K-pop news, album reviews, and so much more, subscribe to the show's free newsletter at 17karatkpop.substack.com. Enjoy the show! Hi everybody, welcome back to 17 Karat K-pop. I had to change up my release plans because N-Hyphen Surprise dropped a mini-movie, basically, to tease their May 22nd comeback. So we have to dissect it. Emergency podcast interrupting my scheduled programming. I'm so excited for this new era. The full background, I won't rehash again. I've done multiple N-Hyphen episodes about that, called N-Hyphen's Dual Worlds, Manifesto Day One Deep Dive, etc., But they continue to lean into this really interesting story, a layered one about vampires, werewolves, the supernatural with very human instincts, philosophy, psychology, mythology, the lore is deep. So let's take a closer look at my working theories about what this teaser is really all about. Let's dive in and stay tuned. I'll answer more of your questions, tie up loose ends and stuff about this story when the full comeback happens, but I could not wait until then to talk about this teaser. It's called Dark Blood. This new trailer has both color and black and white images, similar to past videos where it seems like it's constantly back and forth between what's happening and what happened in the past. So we start with the black and white flashback to a girl in a car, screaming beside herself, crying out for help, banging on the car windows, trying to unlock the door. She's freaking out. And this guy's just casually sitting on a chair on top of the car as the narration starts. Quote, this is a story about pride and oblivion, love and sacrifice and fate. If you wish to escape from this twist of fate, remember these two words, bite me, unquote. So much to unpack already in just those first few seconds. First of all, the fact they say this is a story about five things is notable. Pride, oblivion, love, sacrifice, fate. In the N-Hyphen Manifesto Day 1 album deep dive episode of 17 Karat K-Pop, I talked about the five stones that center the story of David and Goliath, which heavily inspired that manifesto N-Hyphen release. Five main stones, five main symbols. Also notable is that this girl is the main girl. The same one I believe we've seen the whole time. In the present day and flashbacks, the one who poured the magical elixir of blood out in the Drunk Dazed video and then showed up the next morning, but no one answered when she knocked. She's been the main character elsewhere and now seemingly getting kidnapped with this guy who's not a member of the band, some random new character going somewhere with her. But was that really a flashback or just a nightmare? Because Hisu suddenly sits up, like he just got jolted out of a nightmare. That notably is in color. So the flashback or dream sequence with the girl who's presumably kidnapped and narrating the stakes of this, the five main traits to consider, that's black and white, he's soon in color. Other black and white scenes throughout the video include Sunhoon with his vampire cape, these intense sword fighting scenes that have major Twilight vibes, the members standing together in a city in ruins, riding a horse dramatically with that Dracula-type cape billowing behind him, and the girl smiling, laughing on a swing set in a flashback. So she's appearing in flashbacks, as well as the sword fighting scene, the horse riding, the vampire cape. The big cinematic drama is part of the black and white scenes. But some of that is in the color scenes too, which are presumably present day. 
including Hee-soon. Then there is a scene with the group sitting, the unhyphen member sitting, in a circle with six chairs, six members present. Very notable because there are seven group members, only six here. But all seven are back together in that black and white scene from a flashback, presumably, with the city in ruins. And now they're kind of dissecting what happened back then, and only six of them are there. Notably also, only six were there in the party, the aftermath of the party in Drunk Dazed. In that video the next morning, Sun Hoon left alone in that room that rained blood the night before. The others are in the room with the remnants of a party scattered that that girl does try to enter and knock, but no one answers. In the flashbacks, when they sat together in a circle, in an early video in their story, all seven sat together, now only six around this circle of chairs. And while they're there, they kind of do a secret handshake of sorts, like some sort of mysterious ritual. The action scenes keep coming. The first one is actually in color. It follows this torrent of bats that pass by, this big confrontation, while the main character, the main female character, sits on the horse. So yeah, she's part of the present day videos too. For a minute, there's an image of one of the band members standing upside down. Like he's standing on the ceiling, which looks like a tornado went through it. Totally wrecked, like it's halfway through construction, but seemingly it was demolished. Very similar to the very rundown, torn up building in Give and Taken. Now that scene's in color, so it's not a flashback to the night of the disaster. Sun Hoon continues to be this main character trying to cheer up this girl. In the present day, she's very distraught still and trying to kind of laugh so she doesn't cry. It's very forceful, her trying to pretend everything's okay as she tries to laugh with his funny faces, the way he does kind of mime jokes like he's stuck in a box, which is very funny and has dual meaning probably just coincidentally with Hyphen's whole 20 cube era where they themselves were literally in a box and saying about being the puppets. Now he's doing shadow puppets for her. Nikki continues to have a weird role in this story because his main thing in the first era was look at me, I'm levitating a few feet. Now it's look at me, I'm dramatically lying in the middle of the road by the motorcycle. So model poses are his thing, I guess, still. There's what seems like a random close-up shot, but if you think about it, it's actually a little less random. There's a moment where we see a ton of opened, empty cans of sliced pineapple, or some sliced fruit. What the heck is that about? Well, I don't really know for sure, but I do know it's kind of a callback to the Pass the Mic video. The teasers for that era included crushed soda cans. The dented cans are, I guess, a symbol again. That's the strongest guess I've got for the purpose. This main female character, she gets a nosebleed following a fight scene in the present day, which started off the whole story when Jun Won got one at the start of Give and Taken. The nosebleed is very significant to the story. The next fight is Sun Hoon alone versus Jay, Jake, and Sun Hoon. Jake and Sun Hoon just sort of pop up behind Jay to provide quick backup or intimidate Sun Hoon at the last second. But Jay is the main foe here. The girl runs up to Jay after the others have left, still looking very devastated. This whole video, she seems like in a state of grief and shock and pain that she doesn't know how to process. She's very beside herself. She continues to be that when she sees Jay, and she's kind of freaked out because he looks frozen in time. Like he's petrified, like he is, the life is out of him. He's stoic, like a statue, so she bites him. 
yeah, every time you're sucked into the action and kind of forget the fact they're vampires, that element comes back to the story and someone bites someone. The domino effect afterwards is interesting because they don't actually show the girl biting the guys who are with Jay. But they collapse on the snow. So on the snowy ground, right after she bites Jay, his two backup fighters collapse just like him. So you can infer they too were bitten by her, or that they have power that is at a level linked to each other's. So if one falls, the others fall. If one gets weak, so do the others. I think it's the former, not the latter, but up to your interpretation. Sun Hoon wants her to bite him too, but she doesn't. At least the camera doesn't show it. So when they crouch down and are holding each other, dramatic K-drama style, by the lake, he dissolves into black dust, fragments that float away. The final words in the video, quote, You are the sun that lifted my darkness. Even if I were to be burnt by that light, I will wait for you all eternity, unquote. Let's roll the tape backwards ourselves to see certain details in previous videos that seem suddenly super significant in hindsight. In Given Taken, not only was there that falling apart building, the bats and vampires and fangs, blood, the word fate was key, put in blood on the wall behind Sun Hoon, but also Jay and Jake face each other. In that video, they are conferring with each other. So their characters are partners in crime, even back then. That seems to be hinted at. Jun Won, the one who got the first nosebleed, is the one trapped away from the others in the flashback. So when the others are inside, he is hands pressed to the window, staring at them from the outside. No way to get in. He soon, the one who may be kind of hallucinating or dreaming, or maybe he just sees the future, is the one in that video who eats a berry and has a severe reaction like he just transformed into some supernatural being just through that. In the Drunk Dazed video, Jun Won plays a key role seemingly in bridging the past and present. Because he's trapped in the past, he's the one with the nosebleed, and he carries that meaning into the present, teleporting to blow out the birthday candles in the present, just like he does in a flashback as well, in the same video. So Sun Hoon is the one in the bloody room alone. Sun Hoon is the one who pours the drink into the bloody fountain to really make it overflow that triggered it raining blood all over him. Sun Hoon seems at odds with Sun Hoon. They're all basically against Sun Hoon, who the main female character seems to be drawn to the most. Their pre-debut teaser videos included a bunch of bursts of images on the screen that indicated the supernatural lore of it all. The roses on fire, the running through the woods, a hand leaving a bloody print on the window, the candle going out, black and white moments. At the end, though, the sun rises the next day, and they all enter this clearing together. Then in the next intro, the next teaser to the next era, they queued that up with a story about greeting the sun, literally and metaphorically, coming out of the woods and facing the sun, wondering about the sky that spreads at the end of this path they are destined to follow, the fate has in store for them. Recall how they ended the brand new teaser, You are the sun that lifted my darkness. Even if I were to be burnt, I'll wait for you for all eternity. They will do what it takes, wait as long as they have to, to feel like they can prove to themselves the sun did rise another day. The problem with lots of sunshine, lots of potential for shadows, symbolically and literally, so with outro across the line, they sing about crossing the line when the shadows fall at night. 
They say their days are like a flipped carnival. Life is mixed with death. If I wake up from dreamless sleep, may tomorrow begin like a dream. So they're hinting maybe this is not really happening in their waking world. That thought continues, setting the scene with intro, The Invitation. They talk about a light actually blinding and deceiving them. In this land of rebel powers, they're beating on the door of the flipped world brought by fate. The festival of blood, where time harmonizes, laughs and screams. They're in a world that confuses them because of all the contradictions. Remember, their main thing up until the past the Mike era was hyphenated titles for the seemingly binary choices. Given or taken, tamed or dashed, blessed or cursed. Here, they're in this mysterious land of rebel powers and shadows falling, this down-is-up-up-is-down illogical place. In this world, there are no binaries. It's all a shade of gray, which is why they're very freaking out. They don't know how to handle that. It's a dizzying experience. They used to see the light as clarity, then they enter into a chapter where they saw it as an issue, an obstacle because it was not working with them, but tricking them, confusing them. And even more worlds add to their confusion when they sing about the wormhole in multiple dimensions waiting for them. Tame Dash featured monologues about this magical island they traveled to, where you can take whatever you want, but nothing is free. They say the most precious things might be the things you have to give away, which may refer to this loved one. In order to get the treasure, we've either got to get through a brooding monster or a swirling tornado. I think they chose the tornado, but realized they wouldn't get a choice and have to face both. Just my thought. They decide it's not worth it, they can't do this, so they'll move on to another island. They say, for now I will float away. Floating away like the black dust he turned into after being hugged. Wherever his next love will take him. Also notable here, at this part of the story they use both past and present tense. They switch verbiage, which reminds you this is not necessarily a chronological story as you thought. Newly relevant quotes about the shadow in Foreshadow. I realized that moment, that infinitely deep well of a shadow, was the foreshadowing of things to come. Ushering the approaching rainstorm and typhoon is the fate of the person who sees it first. I chase after the shadow, run toward the new world I'll find at the end. Till then, even though the world, shrouded in the shadow, might be cold, painful, and a little lonely, I'll be the first to sprint ahead, because the one true ending, that splendid future, waits for us, unquote. Recall in the Fever video, this black smoke followed them. The black smoke was key there too. They tried to cling onto this doorway into a different world, but the black smoke pulled them like clutches down into this seemingly endless hole. Those shadows, those dark forces, keep following them. In the Enhyphen episode I did called Enhyphen's Dual Worlds, I talked about the main mythological creatures they invoke in their story. Odysseus, Charybdis, Scylla. That last one is the one Odysseus chooses to face. And that is the most daunting of the three teaser videos. The Odysseus one, chill premise, just hanging out on the beach. Charybdis video, that was just a chill hangout session playing soccer. The Scylla one, all the symbols of wealth, riches that have secret costs if you take them, indulgences, vices, and candles, blurriness, blurred memories, that hazy, dangerous dream world that's affiliated with that last video. So they chose to take the path full of the most vices, similar to what Odysseus took. He decided to take his chances. 
that seems to be why they keep getting into these situations because they think they can do these things and they seem to be emboldened. So first they timidly entered a new world even though they thought the sun was not the guiding light it once represented to them. But they've not just embraced the unknown, but may have gone to the wrong extreme, and now are like, I guess we're in lawless territory, let's go wild. So in Blessed Cursed, they set fire to the school halls, there's an explosion, they sing about the luxury draped on them, the curse that's like a medal, no pain, no gain, liar beyond that light. They're out for revenge, and feel kind of invincible now. The Future Perfect Pass the Mic video kind of goes with that too. When they sing about, this is day one, give me the mic, we are going to shout our future together. They even use the word myth. They say, you helped stoke my myth with your hater energy. Jake previously said the past albums focused on their time on that metaphorical border and that now they're going to start talking about the feelings they still need to process from that crazy time on the border. So before they were singing about realizing where they were and that they had the ability to step over the line or draw a new line, they were deciding what fate really means and how much was up to them in their own hands. Now they're going back to process the mental process they just went through. Now they're going back to say, okay, what led us, what deep within us drove us to draw that new line, cross that line? It's getting more introspective, like, let's assess how we got here and how we grew, not just where we grew. This revisiting memories to take lessons away from them would explain the time travel, not chronological order of events. Mixed with their sense of, wow, look at all we've done, we really can do anything, we are invincible. As I said in my N-hyphen concert recap episode, even the live show tied into this larger story with the VCRs that played as interludes. So video one showed the blood moon. The sky goes black, blood drips down Hisun's mouth, there's a magical potion. That dark view was back in the second VCR. The rose is on fire again, someone being hypnotized and upside down, blood being poured into a glass, an invitation to a magical party again, like the bloody birthday, and the red altar the blood altar. So the wealth, the blood, all their go-to symbols were a part of those VCRs. And lastly, the final one played even after the encore, like a big final conclusion. The final video shows the members walking through this larger-than-life set of doors. With the light streaming out of them, a new blindingly bright sun awaits. Remember, this is all still very preemptive, very initial, subject to change when the full comeback is in full swing, when I will, of course, have another episode about and hyphen out to dissect the full comeback. But this teaser trailer gave me a few initial takeaways. One is that the characters in order of importance to the plot right now appear to be first Sunhoon and the main guys against him in second place. Jay, then Jake and Sunhoon, then Heesoon, then Nikki, and then Jenwon, who was the main character previously, so it actually makes sense why he gets a back seat now. It's fair. So we started with the quote in the Dark Blood trailer about this being a story with those five traits. Pride, oblivion, love, sacrifice, fate. If you wish to escape fate, bite me. Like the world of vampires could get them away from the torment they are living and reliving. But he soon snaps out of a dream, which could have been that tantalizing promise of escape. 
rivalries, romance, fighting, all these plot points are hinted at, and we know that at least half the group was officially bitten by now. Some right away in Give and Taken, others now in this new teaser. They travel through the woods together, they greet the sun on the other side, but then they see the downsides that come with the sun, all the shadows it brings, the darkness beneath the dawn, basically. They are introduced to a ton of dangerous joys. They become obsessive, they enter this castle full of things you can take, but remember nothing is really free in life. It'll cost you. And they travel to a magical island, a magical castle. Everywhere they go, they feel like, well, we've escaped the place with a hidden downside. And now we're at the real utopia. But every time they realize, nope, another obstacle here. On the island, they're like, yep, we finally found a utopia. And then they're like, nope, sea monster. Who, by the way, has six heads. The number six now apparently is repeated here in their story. So they're trying to find a paradise as opposed to just facing their issues head on. And they do so by kind of letting go and just floating, as they describe it, like bats or black dust flying wherever the wind goes. With an increasing recklessness and increasing sense of feeling emboldened and strong and powerful to the point where they blow up the school building, basically, and fight each other more aggressively than ever. Also worth noting, the Odyssey connection still seems to apply because that has a slaying spree at the end as well. They get carried away with the violence. I could also recap my favorite myth, the Apple of Discord, that whole story I covered in the episode called Music and Mythology, but I digress. Just remember, the apple she bites into in their story is reminiscent of that situation. She triggered way more violence than she thought by biting into an apple. So they timidly went through the woods, and then more and more were like, no, we like this world-jumping situation. We like taking over. It seems like they're back on the cycle where they're going to encounter a utopia and then see the hidden, ugly side of it. That's what everything seems to point to. Like on their last concert tour, they showed they're back to that world of dark riches and tempting vices. That's probably going to repeat itself. So basically they say, this is a story we've kind of told before with the five main traits. Hence what I talked about in the N-hyphen episode about the David and Goliath references and the mythology references, all that stuff. They're saying, yeah, we're going to revisit the same themes. But then they set up a new level of intensity with the violence, angst in their faces. They also have kind of a deja vu feeling because of the nosebleed, the tornado wrecked building, lots of give and take in video throwbacks. New members are bitten, and now they're ready basically for eternity of doing this. Basically, that's my takeaway. They are saying, we're going to kind of cover the same themes as always with this era, but to a new extent, a more dramatic extent, that may continue to just lead to this messiness in the shades of gray. Now that we gave up a hyphenated binary way of thinking, the black and white thinking is gone, we have to live in this chaos now. That will just eternally be their story. I also think, though, the fact they're bitten and their story is eternal now, they're going to learn the downsides of immortality, philosophically, I think. Like, now they're going to reflect on, oh, that wasn't the get-out-of-jail-free card either. They were thinking, oh, maybe the road to eternal bliss is not that island, not that magical castle where you can just take anything, but nothing is free. Maybe you can take anything, and it is free, if you beat time. You beat the passage of time, and you just live forever a vampire. So now I think they're going to realize, no, even then, you cannot win against certain ways of the world. You are not going to find a quick shortcut to life's challenges. 
you have to endure as much as you try to find a detour instead. So I think they're going to learn the hidden downsides of even more perceived upsides. Obviously so much still up in the air about what it means, and I will get back to you not just when the new comeback content is out, the 22nd, mark your calendars, but also because then I will talk more about the dark moon, the blood moon, the blood altar, every aspect of their webtoon world. I have not dissected that yet. That is more explicitly linked to their story than ever. So we have to talk about Dark Moon, the Blood Altar, with the ways they talk about this mystery character, who we now know is named Suha, if we're following the webtoon, and the story of these boys as vampires at this academy, but they also kind of cosplay as humans at times, which also just provokes a bunch of questions, like, what if you're bitten twice? Like, did she just rebite them? That's a whole other can of worms we could debate. Maybe they were cosplaying as vampires the whole time, but pretending they were cosplaying as humans, we will open that can of worms, but not today. But just know it is linked to that webtoon so you could find more answers there. But I just want to prompt you to start thinking about the deeper meaning here because they always do pay so much attention to even the smallest details. It's so impressive. So much more I could gush about. Already hyped for this comeback, but I'll leave it there for now. Thank you all for tuning in today. I will talk to you all again very soon. Bye everybody.